Welcome to the show, and don't forget to check out this month's Nebula exclusive, Giant Space Monsters, as we explore everything from Space Kraken to Giant Sandworms. To get access and help support the show while hearing every episode early and ad-free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash and use my code IsaacArthur. This video is sponsored by CuriosityStream. Get access to my streaming video service Nebula when you sign up for CuriosityStream using the link in the description. In the grim darkness of the far future, there will be only bureaucracy. A few years back we took a look at Alien Force Contact scenarios, and we came up with 9 scenarios those might fall into, though fundamentally you've got 3 basic forms that can take. They come to us, we come to them, or we bump into each other out there. Today we'll be focused on that first one, and specifically when they're trying to contact us, as opposed to us simply noticing they exist, as would be the case with picking up some signal not intended for us or some trace of their existence. This doesn't mean they're necessarily landing in full view of the public with some saucer that disgorges little green men, indeed as we'll see today, that's not a very likely first contact scenario, and if they did land, we'd likely expect the ship to disgorge something that looked quite human, as in many cases that would be the most logical thing to do. But we can't simply ask what the most logical means of first contact is, because there isn't one. Rather, any given first contact scenario would depend on what the motivations of those doing the contact was. As an example, a hostile species that simply want us dead would likely make contact with what we call an RKM, relativistic kill missile, or rather a volley of thousands of them hammering Earth so hard and fast that the contact would last mere moments and take the form of bright expanding shockwaves, game over. Not the most illuminating of first contact scenarios for learning about an advanced civilization, although I suppose in a literal sense it actually is due to the sheer amount of light and radiation involved. On the other extreme, first contact might come in the form of a radio signal in plain English saying, Greetings, humans of Earth. This message comes to you in peace. Tune into Frequency X for an overview of basic galactic information and detailed instructions on creating a galactic internet link so you can access information files in high bandwidth. Welcome to the galactic community. Which would certainly be a nice message to receive, assuming it's on the level, honest and without any particular malice or mischievous motivation, but would not it immediately require asking why today, why a century after we had radio, and why by radio anyway? Any time we get contacted we'd have to ask what has changed, assuming they knew of our existence prior to contact, and the message was meant exclusively for us, as opposed to us discovering a civilization far away because our telescopes got better. Though that could be an example itself, if they are reluctant to contact primitive worlds but keep an eye on them, they might see such telescopes getting built and say, well, they're going to detect us soon, best do it on our own terms. You might think it ethical to leave young civilizations alone to develop without your interference, but once they have the technology to explore space, they're going to bump into the wider galactic community, and pragmatism says you'd best go say hello soon, before they randomly bump into who knows what and panic. That's exactly what the pragmatic Vulcans did when humans first developed warp in Star Trek First Contact. 
and become Starfleet's basic policy eventually. So that's an example of a way that development on our side could drive Force Contact. But changing circumstances on contact or sides could also be the reason. Some interstellar empire that nominally controlled the space Earth was in changed policies or ceded control of that territory for some reason. Now folks can contact or visit Earth who were previously unwilling or forbidden to, and it has nothing to do with anything humanity has been up to. As another example, if some neighboring third civilization is getting aggressive, you might make contact earlier than ideal to give the natives a chance to prepare, perhaps even lend them a hand in the form of military hardware or a team of lawyers. And for that matter, it might be one's own aggressive civilization they'd want to give the natives a fighting chance against. Which is another thing to remember on this, you are pretty much never going to be dealing with just one isolated group, Humanity and Civilization X. While it's quite possible, even without fast and light travel, for a single species to colonize out from its homeworld to cover the entire galaxy, it would be rather peculiar for them to have done so on such a recent timeline to our own emergence. It's being fairly conservative to say that astronomical conditions would have permitted civilizations to arise only in the last billion years, and galactic colonization timelines shouldn't take more than a percent of that time, 10 million years, so why now? The odds of only two such species, them and us, arising in that same period but nobody else doing so in that billion year period would be 1 in 10,000, and frankly even such good odds rely on assuming life couldn't have arisen much earlier, which it almost certainly could have, and that civilizations not only never get fast and light travel, but colonize quite slowly even by subluminal methods, and that we only need to contemplate our own galaxy. Of course they might be way older and just been sitting around, but that raises some other concerns. First, why they sat around watching Earth so long, many millions of years, and second, how they managed to stay they. Even ignoring the isolation worlds have from each other at interstellar distances by assuming faster than light travel, they're not likely to be homogenous anymore. It's very dubious to assume a species that's spread out over not only tens of thousands of light years of space, but tens of millions of years of time is anything like a cohesive civilization. Just living apart all that time around alien suns, with no shared external threat to keep them unified, is going to make them more divergent from their kindred on other worlds than we are from any other mammal. And that's ignoring all the high-tech options on the table like genetic engineering, cybernetics, uplifting, and mind uploading, which should only hasten divergence. And so, even if in the beginning there was just one great alien civilization out there, there would soon be many. Such being the case, anything they might do in regard to us has to be seen through the lens of them worrying what their neighbors or rivals might think. After all, they might have whole armadas of ships that could single-handedly obliterate Earth, but so do their neighbors and rivals. They always have to ask what the response would be, even to non-hostile acts like showing up with open arms and free technology. It's conceivable that all the alien factions would be fairly peaceful and friendly but frown on gaining allies and converts by what they might view as bribery, potentially upsetting the status quo. We looked at that scenario a bit in Invasive Aliens some months back. Alternatively, they might be all guided by some grand ideal. It's not super unlikely that ethics tend to converge to certain core and universal principles, and if they did then it doesn't matter if you can maintain a cohesive galactic empire or not. 
For instance, all life on Earth shares a survival impulse, it's rather inevitable under Darwin and we'd expect that to be universal, and most ethical ideals can trace to some connection to our various biological impulses plus various reasoning or rationalizing. I think it would be quite a jump to assume every species out there believed in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but maybe not a huge one. More to the point, if societies tend to get more rational over time, it's plausible they might converge to some shared ethics, particularly if they tended only to arise from species that placed great value on curiosity and community bonds, both of which would seem almost prerequisites for technologically advanced civilizations. Problem is, if they do, it's kind of hard to imagine they wouldn't just want to show up on Earth and share those, or why they think Earth in the year 2020 AD was better suited to it than it was in 2020 BC. Oh, they might figure out we'd have an easier time absorbing those principles now than then, but someone is bound to point out that 4,040 years, 102 human generations, is a very long time to wait for better conditions to save a little work. Humans are basically the same now as then in terms of mind and body, so if it took a few extra generations to get the job done, it would still get done way earlier by starting way earlier. On contemplation, probably even earlier since it's likely to be way easier to convert relatively primitive cultures to your life philosophy. I dislike using analogies that imply primitive cultures are like children compared to more advanced ones, but it applies to some degree. More to the point, regardless of whether it's easier to teach a 5-year-old or a 10-year-old basic ethics, you still start with the 5-year-old because you don't want them stumbling around hurting themselves or others any longer than is necessary. So if you've got a grand ideal, you need a reason why they aren't sharing it as early as they find plausible. The exception being if that grand ideal is non-interference but you wouldn't expect the lone, primary grand ideal of a civilization to be about minor civilizations on their fringes, any more than the various major nations of nowadays focus their principles on what we should do in regard to this or that uncontacted tribe. They might think it important, but it wouldn't be the centerpiece of their culture, even in Star Trek it's the prime directive of their peacetime exploration group, Starfleet, not the Federation itself. It's also not a policy that works great unless everyone is on board. In the Trek Universe there is the Federation and there are a lot of other empires who do not follow that policy, so it gets hand-waved away why the Romulans or Ferengi for instance haven't just gone and contacted everybody the Federation hasn't. In a case like that, if not everyone is on board, then your Prime Directive has been modified to not just not contacting primitive worlds, but guarding them or threatening your other neighbors who may contact them. That does offer one decently plausible scenario. Any species that has gone on the galactic stage first might have felt terribly lonely and fascinated by various simple alien life they encountered. Say they discovered a thousand worlds throughout the galaxy that hosted some native life with a decent chance of producing a sapient species sometime reasonably soon on galactic timelines, perhaps a million years. They might quarantine the space of say 500 light years around each such world, both to help ensure isolation and to be a gift to that species when and if they achieve spaceflight. That's quite a gift too, such volume is generally going to contain around a million stars, though not super generous on galactic scales since it's not even a percent of the galaxy's available systems. 
if they tell any species that shows up to keep their grubby hands out of those protected spheres, or else, they probably won't have to work hard to keep that as an accepted policy. Fight all you want over any remaining worlds, assuming we haven't claimed them ourselves, but keep away from those tiny bubbles. And to anyone operating on the galactic stage, that is a tiny bubble, even if it contains a million suns. Of course all such things are relative, and if we're going to contemplate elder civilizations who operate on multi-million year timelines and multi-billion star neighborhoods, creating large protected bubbles, one could argue something like our expanding universe might be an intentional way of creating pockets of isolation. You see such a world appear, with basic life on it, and slap dark energy generators around them to effectively isolate it from everyone else by creating a massive expanding sphere of emptiness around them. Pretty over the top and I don't think it fits the absurd facts about dark matter and energy too well, but it's good to remember that when dealing with massive and ancient civilizations, the scale of efforts can be mind-bogglingly huge even before factoring in any ultra-advanced technologies that might break known physical laws. So too, since it's unlikely any civilization that's managed to be around for millions let alone billions of years is terribly focused on biology as a necessary component of life, you might dump civilizations into effective pocket universes to keep them safe, be they ones you made by Clark Tech or simply virtual worlds you've uploaded their brains to. Key notion there is that a principle of non-interference, or the zoo hypothesis, is plausible enough as a reason we seem to be alone, but there are so many problems with the way we usually see in science fiction, and so many more pragmatically effective ways. As we said, timey on first contact is going to be about either principles, pragmatism, or current events. They are current events, not ours. When it comes to principles, the only one that really fits the bill for waiting to contact folks till they've reached some cultural or technological level is non-interference. So principles don't fit too well as they probably got better options that are more likely to work for keeping us safely quarantined. Such being the case, if we get a hello signal or a ship landing on Earth, it's not likely to actually originate from what we think of as our galaxy anyway, which is likely to be an illusion or a bubble entirely gifted to us. The notion someone might grant a whole galaxy or observable universe to someone might seem rather ridiculous, but everything's relative, and channel regulars already know just how ambitious we can be even without any super advanced technologies. If you accept things like fast and light travel as possible for instance, you have to consider dealing with species that not only don't come from our galaxy, but don't come from our observable universe. For all we know, the whole grand shebang is a trillion trillion galaxies or more, and somebody happened across Earth a billion years ago, liked what they saw, and threw a giant dark energy generator back in time to isolate our otherwise empty galactic supercluster from interference, or shoved the whole supercluster through a mega wormhole into some new pocket universe. You make first contact when that species, us in this case, figures out how to notice that or look outside it. If they do contact you via signal or ship though, they might go for that classic science fiction approach of landing a ship in Central Park and asking to be taken to our leader just to make us feel more comfortable, part of why I'd half expect that ship to discord humans rather than little green men. You probably can't arrange to have your ambassador not only look like but actually be whatever species you are visiting, rather than shock them with how you look and behave. Indeed there's a pretty good chance that rather than being from species of billions of little green men who colonize part of the galaxy, the galactic community is actually billions of matrioska brains, 
giant megamines each powered by their own sun, and running computational power in excess of a trillion trillion human brains each. Since a Matrioska brain is a type of Dyson Sphere, you'd expect to be able to see such a community, or rather not see them since any one of those megamines could pack brain uploads of every human who ever lived in a tiny closet of vast computational castles, there is no reason to assume you and I are actually seeing the real galaxy when we look up that sky anyway. That's another key concept too, if you're getting contacted by aliens then you should expect you're dealing with something that's at least on the Kardashev 2 scale. See that episode for details about how mind-bogglingly powerful such civilizations are, even if they're running with more or less modern human technology, but short form, they outnumber you so massively that they'd literally have more anthropologists than you have people. Indeed just a single K2 civilization around a lone star ought to be able to devote the equivalent of an entire university to studying each and every single star in the galaxy while funding it about as much as we fund modern anthropology. That means they know us better than we know ourselves when they pop out of their ship or send a signal to us saying hello. If their goal is to traumatize us the least, then they are going to have a good idea how to do that. Needless to say, if they have some other goals, they are just as well equipped to do that too. Heck, they probably know us so well and have so advanced their own capabilities for neurology and psychology that they could likely just brainwash us or deliver such a well-polished sales pitch that we'd be jumping for joy at whatever they offered us, even if it was mass enlistment to serve as cannon fodder in some war of theirs, or as prey in their hunt, or as their dinner entree. I'm never quite sure why science fiction likes to suggest aliens might want us for food, particularly since they could presumably mass-clone synthetic human meat from a few samples of our DNA, but I suspect if that was their agenda they wouldn't need to do it at gunpoint or even by deception, they could probably feed us such a load of tripe that we'd be jumping for the chance to be rendered as tripe. You always have to ask, for any proposed alien motivation, if there's an easier way to achieve the apparent goal. I can't imagine why they'd want to put humans on the menu at Galactic Dinos, beyond their presumably being a market for exotic meats. It would seem fairly likely many civilizations would have taboos and an aversion to cannibalism or its alien equivalent, but even if not, they ought to be able to just grow meat anyway, and even if they prefer meat that was hunted or slaughtered from something that had been sapient. I doubt that would be a universal taste, meaning you've got to worry what your neighbors will do when they find out. Again, see the Invasive Aliens episode for discussion of that issue. How about pragmatism as a reason for saying hello now, not 10,000 years ago? Well, speaking of restaurants with exotic menu options, they might have companies that franchise a lot and want to set up shop on Earth. Plenty of folks would pay good money to try alien cuisine, be it food or drink. After all, as we noted in Parasitic Aliens, it's likely to be good stuff, alien beer is to die for. You might be wondering what we'd pay with, being rather primitive, but trade is very adaptable and inventive, and this is an example of when pragmatism could apply. The more advanced a civilization gets, at least if human history is a good measure, the more exotic and abstract its taste, both literally for food and in many other things too. They might have services to offer that you need to be fairly high-tech to desire or appreciate, same as you can't sell video games to cavemen and there might be local rules about excessively priming the pump, no landing among Neolithic tribes and bootstrapping their technology until they can desire and afford smartphones, 
no getting them to sign over entire mineral-rich asteroids they don't even know exist in exchange for a 10-year subscription to Galactinet and so on. We may also have finally started producing a large quantity of something they value, which is likely to be something artistic or creative. They might find our video games or movies very interesting, and think they could be adapted as big sellers with more advanced production techniques. And so to the surprise of everyone in Hollywood, who has been making films about them landing on Earth for years, they might go land right in Hollywood and say, take me to your producer. As a whole, any given pragmatism-based scenario always has to say what the goal is and why we just meet it now, or in the near future, for it to work. It's great if it's the principle of non-interference and they know you're within spitting distance technologically of being able to spot them with the new telescopes, or if you know they're going to figure out how to use and listen to some fast light communication network you have. It also works if you're not really into non-interference but just don't care much about other civilizations culturally and are nice enough not to steal their homeworlds, but suddenly have a motive. For instance, if rules or customs of galactic conflict forbid establishing military or trade outposts on worlds or in their system if native species tell you to get out, but now they're out in space and you need to ask for a contract for basing rights. Then they find out you've been using Mars as a spy outpost for a million years and kick you out, or demand back rent. But that takes us to our third option. Besides principles of pragmatism, current events in the galaxy, or at the least the stellar neighborhood, things change and a galactic map is likely to have very fluid lines for things like borders or regulations or trade and defense treaties. Orth might have been under the shadow of some empire for 10,000 years who just lost this bit of space or it seceded to become a new realm of its own, or suddenly they need to build up outposts in our area and they want our permission or cooperation, possibly out of ethical interests or a long time fondness for us who they've been quietly protecting or possibly to keep their other neighbors neutral or on their side in whatever conflict was brewing, if they might look ill upon setting such outposts up without our genuine permission. Or it might be something that's a bit of a current event for us too, like a dwarf planet or rogue black hole headed our way, and they don't think it's practical to try to do that without us knowing or even helping. We need to disassemble Mercury to make a giant cannon to blow up this dwarf planet headed your way is probably the sort of thing you aren't even going to try to do covertly. Of course if they offer to do that, you probably want to try to make sure that's all the cannon is planned for, rather than, say, being a big gun for blowing up their neighbors and you serve as the Fall Guys when their armada shows up in our solar system to inquire about what happened and what your funeral customs are. I always tend to assume alien civilizations are courteous like that. Probably true, too. You likely can't make a civilization without concepts like diplomacy and courtesy, especially really advanced ones where offensive firepower is wildly disproportionate to defenses. That's one more pragmatic reason for contact, not saying hello when you know they're about to find out you exist soon anyway, but doing so before they make some horrible, self-destructive weapon or technology. By default we just assume any weapon we might make in the near future would be no threat to them, But that's a big assumption. It could be a lot of civilizations destroy themselves early on with suicide pack technologies, like we discussed in late filters last month, and they show up before you do hoping to prevent that. Indeed you might have a galaxy devoid of ancient civilizations because this happened very frequently and only recently did anyone manage to avoid killing themselves and now they try to pay their good luck forward by intervening. On the other hand, 
We never want to get into the habit of assuming technology always just keeps getting better and better over time. It might be that technology snowballs very fast, and a 22nd century Earth can create just as good a self-replicating, sentient, galaxy-devastating superweapon as anyone else can. I generally roll my eyes at science fiction that suggests aliens stay away from us because we're hyper-aggressive, or only visit because they need to enlist us in their cause for having that trait, because I tend to figure anything that crawls its way up Darwin's 4 billion year deep corpse pile is going to be pretty aggressive too, so that even if they are nice guys now, they won't always and wouldn't likely scorn us for that trait, but rather offer us a hand getting out of it or just figure we'll outgrow it. On the other hand, it could be they feel obliged to race in whenever they find a species at about our level, knowing we're getting pretty close to being able to build superweapons that are superweapons as far as they're concerned too. Though this, like so many other options, always leaves that big question as to why now? What changed with us or with them that makes it better to say hello now and not a century ago, or 10,000 years ago? Not a lot of good answers that I've heard, and again why I tend to assume there's no galactic community yet and if there's ever to be one, we'll have to build it ourselves. But the good news is, looking at means, motive, and opportunity, if there is anybody out there with particularly nasty intent, they could so easily have already taken action that we can probably conclude they either don't exist, or are held in check for some reason, and one which hopefully will keep applying for centuries to come. There is one dark mirror version of the Prime Directive of Non-Interference. Civilizations might have rules about not contacting primitive civilizations, but it might be that it's the galactic equivalent of fair play, and once civilization hits a certain age, they're expected to fend for themselves against galactic threats, be it natural disasters like asteroids or alien armadas, or abusive trade partners and scam artists. You get out there and start colonizing your local planets and mining your asteroids, and they expect you to deal with stuff like asteroid impacts on your own. Or, for that matter, they might come land their ships after you started mining asteroids for space gold and present you a bill for past protection services. Welcome to the galactic community, you owe us 4 billion years of back taxes. And suddenly the hostile armada of homicidal alien robots doesn't sound that bad in comparison. While taxes and bureaucracy are likely to be a feature of any civilization, trade is probably going to be the true cornerstone of any interstellar civilization, be it with your own colonies or alien empires, and whether that's in raw materials or luxury goods or simply data and information. We'll be taking an expanded look at the notion of trade with aliens in our second installment of our new Nebula-exclusive series, Coexistence with Aliens, which is out now. Nebula, our new subscription streaming service, was made as a way for education-focused independent creators to try out new content that might not work too well on YouTube, and can be put on Nebula exclusively, though I'll still be using it for previews and early releases too, and if you'd like to get free access to it, it does come as a free bonus with a subscription to Curiosity Stream, which also has thousands of amazing documentaries you can watch, on top of Nebula-exclusive content like our Coexistence with Alien series from myself, and many other creators like CGP Grey, Minute Physics, and Wendover. A year of Curiosity Stream is just $19.99, and it gets you access to thousands of documentaries, as well as a complimentary access to Nebula for as long as you're a subscriber and use the link in the episode description, curiositystream.com slash Isaac Arthur. 
Quite a few episodes coming up to finish 2019 out, starting next week with accessing Earth's core, where we'll look at how we might go about drilling all the way to the Earth's center and why we might do that. We'll follow that up with a bonus episode on Paranoid Aliens, and the Thursday after that we'll take a look at Space Pirates and see if this classic sci-fi concept might become a reality in the future. For alerts when those and other episodes come out, make sure to subscribe to the channel, and if you'd like to support the channel, you can visit our website to donate, or just share the video with others. Until next time, thanks for watching, and have a great week!